If you'd like to know more about our ministry here at The Mission, visit us online at www.themissionnorthshore.org. Thanks for listening. God bless. Good morning. Thank you. I'm not quite as energetic as Garrett, but I'll try my best. Um, I am Dave. Today I'll be driving on with the study of the book of Romans, and uh, we'll finish chapter 5 today, and then Tripp will be back to continue on with chapter 6. But for now, let's turn to Romans chapter 5, and today we'll study the verses 12 through 21 in depth, but we'll start by reading verses 18 and 19, which to me are the summarization of the entire group of verses that we're going to be spending this morning looking at. Uh, We'll read 18 and 19, then we'll pray, and then we'll dive into the study of the broader text together. Let's read 18 and 19. Consequently, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all people. For just as through the disobedience of one man the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man the many will be made righteous. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for this morning, and we thank you for who you are, and we thank you for your word that you've given to us. We especially thank you for the book of Romans and how it is your gospel message, and we ask this morning that we would focus on that gospel message. And Lord, that you would speak through me, um, that you'd fill me with your spirit and help me to just focus on that gospel message, and that everyone here would not be distracted by me, but would be focused on you and what your word says about how we can all be saved. Lord, we ask these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. So Tripp mentioned at the beginning of this series on Romans uh, that Chuck Smith, who founded Calvary Chapel, said that no one should endeavor to teach the book of Romans until they'd been a Bible teacher for at least 10 years. Well, you guys who know me know that I'm a soldier, I'm not a preacher, and while I do enjoy studying and teaching the Word, I certainly haven't been doing it for 10 years, so bear with me this morning. But when Tripp and, and Paulo asked me to speak today and to continue on with Romans, I was a little bit intimidated because Romans is a complex book. It's got a lot of heavy theology. But I just felt God uh, comforting me, and, uh, and it was confirmed last week when, when, uh, when Garrett asked, you know, what's, what's, what's Romans all about? And I think Natalie, you know, just summarized it really simply, you know, that we're sinners and we're saved, we can be saved by God's grace. And uh, while Romans is a heavy book, there is that one central message and it's summarized in Romans 3, 23 and 24, which Tripp taught on a few weeks ago. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Amen. And in contemporary English, there's a lot of churchy words in that couple of verses. But in, in, in English that I understand, none of us are good enough for God because he's perfect. But he loves us and he's willing to forgive us for our shortcomings through what his son Jesus did for us. And we'll we'll go into some of that as we work our way through the rest of Romans chapter 5. So while I'm not a seasoned Bible teacher, I do believe those verses to be true, and I'm happy to reiterate the gospel message this morning. And the title of this message is Death Through Adam and Life Through Jesus. Some of your Bibles kind of summarize that that section um, with those those similar words. Um, It's Romans 5, 12 through 21. And as the title suggests, There are two parts to this message. There's the death that we inherit through Adam, and there's the life that we can inherit through Jesus. There's the bad news 
and the good news. And we've seen this throughout our study of the book of Romans. There's bad news that we're sinners and therefore separated from God, but there's good news that God still loves us, and he sent Jesus to give us a chance to have the right relationship with God. And the book of Romans is Paul's deep analysis of both the bad news and the good news. And as Tripp has said, it's necessary, it's crucial, in fact, to acknowledge that bad news in order to appreciate the need for the good news. And we've spent some time over the last few months focusing on both sides of that coin, the bad news and the good news. But in this particular passage, Paul compares, and more importantly, he contrasts the bad news with the good news. And so we'll work through today's text the way that Paul lays it out, the bad news first, and then the good news, and we'll compare and contrast as we go. And most importantly, we'll draw out the eternal implications of both the bad news and the good news. So as we get into the study, we'll start with the bad news. Um, first, when people give me a choice, do you want the good news or the bad news? I always say the bad news first um, because that way we can move forward on a high note. But also, like I said, Paul leads with the bad news uh, in Romans because he wants us to understand it so that we can appreciate the need for the good news. So concisely, the bad news is that we're all sinners. And I just read Romans 3.23. The first part says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's the bad news. And the first few chapters of Romans really hammer that concept home, that we're all sinners. Um, Sin is kind of a churchy word, but you know what I mean, right? We're all selfish human beings. We make mistakes often that disappoint God and hurt others. We do this daily. We do this hourly. We do this probably by the minute. Uh, But today's passage in Romans reminds us of why we are sinners. And basically, it's all Adam's fault. Sorry, Adam, we're going to beat you up a little bit today. And uh, we're actually going to, going to go back to Genesis and, and look at that original sin. But first, um, verse 12 in Romans chapter 5, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, and some of your versions call out Adam in that verse, some leave him anonymous. But just as the sin entered the world through one man, and death through that sin, in this way death came to all men because all sinned. So if you remember back to Genesis, and you can turn there if you want, But keep a marker in Romans because we're going to go back to chapter 5. There was creation. There was original sin through Adam. Then humankind was cursed with a sinful nature and eternal separation from God. Let's look back to Genesis for those specifics. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. First verse in the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then throughout chapter 1, the book goes on to, to describe the creation, to describe the original sin committed by Adam, and then to to uh, eventually talk about the implications of that. But in the first six days, God created light. He created water. He created vegetation. He created sky, animals. Finally, a man named Adam. In chapter 2, verse 8, it continues that now the Lord God planted a garden in the east, in Eden, and there he put the man that he had formed. Verse 9 tells us in the middle of the garden were a tree of life and a tree of good and evil. And then chapter 2, verses 16 and 17, God tells Adam, You are free to eat from any tree in this garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. And then God created a wife for Adam named Eve. And it sounds like they had a pretty good life in the Garden of Eden. And all God asked was that they obey this one command, to not eat from this one tree. But then as we see in Genesis 
chapter 3, Adam eventually succumbs to the temptation and he tries a piece of this forbidden fruit. And in Genesis 3, 21 through 23, God explains the fallout that comes from this original sin. In verse 22, God says, he, talking about Adam, must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. Verse 23, so the Lord God banished him, Adam, from the Garden of Eden to work the ground which he had been taken. So there were some tangible implications for Adam. He was kicked out of the garden. He was forced to work the land that he used to enjoy freely. But more significantly, he lost his eternal life with God. Because Adam was righteous before he took that piece of fruit. God in his righteousness could only allow righteous humans to live eternally with him. But when Adam took that fruit, he became unrighteous and he lost that eternal life with God. And we'll go into that a little bit more in a few minutes. But unfortunately for us, we, all of humanity, we inherited that new paradigm. And thus, the sinful nature that Adam took on and eternal death as the consequence for that sinful nature extended not just to Adam, but to all of humankind. So now we'll flip back to Romans 5, verse 12. And we'll look at what Paul says, uh, which we, uh, we've kind of already touched on. Sin entered the world through this one man, Adam, and death through his sin, and in this way, death came to all men because all sinned. And in verses 13 through 14, Paul adds a footnote for the Jews who think that maybe sin only is in terms of violations of God's commands. Um, And so he counts for that time between Adam and Moses, and he says, to be sure, sin was in the world before the law was given. But sin is not charged against anyone's account where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking a command, as Adam did, who is a pattern of the one to come. And that law that God provided through Moses, it makes it very black and white to the Jews what is and isn't a sin. And every people group in the world, not just the Jews, have formed laws and norms to establish an acceptable code of conduct. But even before Moses' law, and even in cultures in the, around the world that don't follow the Judaic law, there's an obvious inherent sinfulness or selfishness, you could call it, that we see in humankind. And if you've ever taken a philosophy class, you've probably been forced to write a paper explaining whether people are inherently good or people are inherently evil. There's a country song that's popular right now, Luke Bryan, where he says, I believe most people are good, but I think that most of us would disagree with that. In the 1600s, the English philosopher and and probably the most... uh, influential political theorist of all time, Thomas Hobbes, described human nature as war of all against all. And he writes that without civilization, government, laws, etc., humans will continually fight for their own interest. And there's numerous scriptures that reiterate the concept of inherent sinfulness. In Psalm 51.5, David laments, Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. And we parents, we kind of understand this because no one teaches our kids how to sin. No one teaches our kids how to be selfish or to fight for our own interests, but they do it. And they do it continually, and they do it pretty well. And, and it's our civilization or our structure in the family that, that tries to correct that. But it's inherent in all of us. And numerous scriptures speak to this inherent sinfulness. Um, we all kind of know it to be true. And there's also numerous scriptures that speak to the in- eternal consequences of our sinfulness. 
Romans 6.23, which we'll cover in a future message, so sorry, spoiler alert, explains the consequences of sin, and it says, for the wages of sin is death, meaning spiritual, you won't die instantly when you sin, we all know that, but spiritually, eternally, you will be separated from God without a supernatural miracle. So that's the bad news, but the good news is that God loves us, and he provided a supernatural miracle, and that miracle's name is Jesus. I just read the first part of Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the second part of 6.23 is, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. And so now looking back to chapter 5, verses 15 through 17, Paul juxtaposes Adam's sin with Jesus' gift. In 15 through 17, I'm going to read from the New Living Translation. It's a little different than probably what you have in your Bible, Um, but it's It's got a couple words that I like that I'll call out. Starting in verse 15, But there is a great difference between Adam's sin and God's gracious gift. For the sin of this one man, Adam, brought death to many, but even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of forgiveness to many through this other man, Jesus Christ. And the result of God's gracious gift is very different from the result of that one man's sin. For Adam's sin led to condemnation, but God's free gift leads to our being made right with God, even though we are guilty of many sins. For the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many, but even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness. For all who receive it will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. Amen. I like this New Living Translation version of this passage. It's the thought-for-thought versus a word-for-word translation. Um, So it's a little easier for me to follow. But second, it uses the word forgiveness in verse 15. And uh, I like that word forgiveness um, because it conjures up a different illustration than most of the popular English translations for sin and salvation. Most translations refer to sin and salvation in legal terms. And that can be a helpful analogy to look at it in legal terms that we're all guilty, we're all sentenced to death, but the judge or God allows Jesus to be punished on our behalf so that we can be justified. You see that word justification over and over in Romans. This is a legal term. um, To enjoy the status of the not guilty. And that's a really good, helpful illustration. But the New Living Translation, when it uses that word forgiveness, it strips away that the legal jargon, and it uses the word forgiveness, which conjures up another analogy, a financial one. Because the word forgiveness is the same word we use when we talk about a lender canceling the debt of a borrower. And with the, the financial analogy in mind, let's rethink the difference between Adam's sin and God's gift. So once sin enters the world, humans are born into a moral deficit vis-a-vis a righteous God. Nerd alert, I'm going to do a little bit of math, and math's not my strong suit. And doing math in public is always a bad idea but I want to try to quantify my own moral deficit. So I'm 37, and if I've committed, on average, one sin every 10 minutes per waking hour, and I've probably committed many more, you can multiply 37 years that I've been on earth times 365 days times 18 waking hours a day times six sins per waking hours, and it comes out to about 2.4 million sins in my 37 years. It's actually 2,430,900 if you want to be exact. 
But either way, that's generous because I've probably spent many more times than that. But if I live for another 37 years, God willing, now I'm going to be close to 5 million. And most people in the world think we have to do good deeds to offset our sins. And if that's true, is there any way I can do enough good deeds to overcome 5 million sins? No way. And going back to the financial analogy, it would be completely crazy to think that a banker would tolerate a borrower that's in so much debt. And it would be even crazier to think that that banker would ask his own son to pay that debt so that someone like me could be permanently balanced in their account, right? But that's what God does for us. He sent his son Jesus in what verse 16 calls God's gracious gift to pay for our spiritual debts once and for all. And through this gift, we can be eternally balanced. We can be eternally forgiven of our debts. But here's a key application, and don't miss this, please. We have to receive the gift. Look closely at verse 17. For the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many, but even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness. For all who receive it will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. So now we're back to the verses that we open with. And I'll reread from the New Living Translation this time. Yes, Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone, but Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God and new life for everyone. Because one person disobeyed God, many became sinners, but because one other person obeyed God, many will be made righteous. And, and hitting home that version or that, that note that we need to receive the gift, I would almost like it if verse 19 was a little more specific. And when it says, many became sinners, if it said all became sinners, and if it said many can become righteous, if it said some become righteous. Because I'm going to show you, I brought a couple buckets up here, a quick illustration to explain. We've got two buckets here. One's empty, and one's full of fine mochalia sand. Don't worry, I'll put it back. And, and we'll say that Every grain of sand in this bucket represents a human being. And I tried to Google to figure out how many people have lived on this earth and got everything from 10 billion to 100 billion. It doesn't really matter. It's a lot of people have been on this earth. And there's a lot of grains of sand in this bucket. And because of what Adam did, as we've seen in these verses, every human being, every single grain of sand in this bucket inherited that sinful nature. And not just the sinful nature, but the penalty for that sinful nature. Eternal separation from God. But through Jesus, we have the opportunity to go in a different category, to go in a different bucket, to go in the category of those who are eternally righteous and eternally welcome to live in relationship with Jesus. But the difference between the two buckets, between the death and between the life, is that everyone goes into this bucket. Every grain of sand is in this bucket until you receive that gift of salvation that's available through Jesus Christ. And so one by one, these grains of sand end up in the category of life. And it's important that we note that and that we remember that 
because we are automatically, if we're born a human into this earth, we are automatically inheritance of that sinful nature, and we are automatically separated from God until we accept that gift of what Jesus did on the cross and that opportunity to be eternally connected with our Lord. So these verses, they establish a juxtaposition between Adam's original sin, which brought death to humankind, and Jesus' sacrificial gift, which gives everyone the opportunity to enjoy an eternal life with God if we accept that gift. So I ask you, which bucket are you in? And we'll, we'll look at a few more verses, but I want you to think about if you're in the bucket of death or you're in the bucket of life, and what are you going to do about it regardless of how you answer that question? The last two verses of the chapter, verse 20, says, The law was brought in so that the trespass might increase, but where sin increased, grace increased all the more, so that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And as we talked about before, sin existed before Moses codified it in law, but the proliferation of the law and other norms of of how we should live, make it even more clear that we are unrighteous and that we're in need of the grace of a righteous God. Chapter 5 closes with the final thought that sin reigns in death, but grace reigns in life. Sin reigns in this bucket that Adam put us in, but grace reigns in the bucket that Jesus allows us to be in. So I ask again, which bucket are you in? If you are still living in eternal death and separation from the Lord, all you have to do is accept that gift. All you have to do is appreciate the fact that God loves us so much he sent his son Jesus to live for us, to die for us, and to pay our debts for us so that we can have life with God. And today can be your day to accept that gift. If you have accepted that gift, then be appreciative, be thankful, and look for opportunities to share it with others. Jason Simpson was up here a few weeks ago, and he talked about three circles as a way to, to share the gospel. Some of you have heard about the Romans Road. I just showed you two buckets. It doesn't matter. It's a simple message that people need to hear, that we need to know Jesus so that we can live eternally with God. So make that choice today, whether you need to know God for the first time, or whether you just need to be appreciative of it and share it with others. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for who you are, and I thank you for your gospel message. And, and Lord, I thank you for making it so easy for us, even though we don't deserve it, even though we can't earn it. You make it so easy for us to live with you eternally, and to have a right relationship with you. Lord, we thank you for saving us. We thank you for, for giving us your word, for teaching us a little bit more about you. We ask these things in Jesus.